Chapter 8 The Principle of Limited Liability If an ox gore a man or a woman, that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him, whether he have gored a son, or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. Exodus 21, 28-31 The Bible imposes liability on owners of animals known to be dangerous. Penalties are imposed that vary according to the nature of the infraction and the degree of prior knowledge by the owner. These penalties are intended to reduce uncertainty about potentially violent beasts. By extending the principle of legal liability, we can derive principles of liability for owners of inanimate objects. Man is a limited creature. His knowledge is therefore limited. Because his knowledge is limited, God limits man's legal liability. Man is not to be judged by standards that could apply justly only to an omniscient being. If a state seeks to impose perfectionist standards of liability, the legal system will cease to function. It will begin to produce unjust decisions, and there will be an increase of uncertainty and also an increase of arbitrary decisions, precisely what biblical law is designed to prevent. Such judicial uncertainty would make economic decision-making prohibitively expensive. The economy would be threatened. Consider the case of a potentially dangerous beast which broke its rope or knocked down a restraining fence in Old Testament Israel. The owner would be in the same position as a man who was using an axe which he thought was safe. The axe head flew off and killed someone. This was a case of accidental manslaughter. Immediately, the man would have fled to a city of refuge in order to escape the dead man's avenger of blood. At that point, the avenger of blood would have demanded a trial, and the elders of the city would have held it. If judged guilty of premeditated murder, the guilty man would have been delivered up to the avenger. If judged innocent, he would have had to remain in the city until the death of the high priest. Numbers 35, 22-28 A Broken Rope Consider the dangerous beast in our day which breaks his restraining rope and kills someone. The victim's heirs sue the owner. They argue that the owner should have used a more sturdy rope. If convicted, the owner then has to prove that the rope's manufacturer was the true culprit. The court then investigates the rope manufacturer. Should he be held liable? To defend himself, he charges the hemp growers with selling a substandard product. Each stage in the case gets more technical and more expensive. The quest for perfect justice is suicidal. It increases the costs of litigation to such an extent that real victims cannot ever afford to attain restitution, for the case never ends. The courts become clogged with expensive cases that can never be resolved by anyone other than God. Only the lawyers profit. God's law does not exist in order to create employment for lawyers. The state that attempts to impose standards of personal responsibility that imply omniscience and omnipotence will eventually make life impossible. 
Sometime before civilization grinds to a strangled halt, however, the bureaucrats will back down or else there will be a revolution which removes these messianic standards of personal and corporate responsibility from the law books. The price of perfect liability laws, like the price of perfect justice, or the price of a risk-free society, is death. Such justice will be available only at the end of history. At that point, it will not only be available, it will be inescapable. This passage, therefore, has implications for the concept so popular in modern economics, that of limited liability. The modern corporation is protected by limited liability laws. In case of its bankruptcy, creditors cannot collect anything from the owners of the corporation's shares of ownership. The corporation is liable only to the extent of its separate corporate assets. Legitimate Limitations Certain kinds of economic transactions that limit the liability of either party, should one of them go bankrupt, are valid. For example, a bank that makes a loan to a church to construct a building cannot collect payment from individual members should the church be unable to meet its financial obligations. It can repossess the building, of course, something that few banks relish doing. It is bad publicity, and a church building is a kind of white elephant in the real estate world. Only churches buy them, and almost all of them are short of funds. This is why bankers prefer to avoid making loans to churches, other things being even remotely equal. The same sorts of limited liability arrangements ought to be legally valid for other kinds of associations, including profit-seeking corporations, limited partnerships or other private citizens who can get other economic actors to agree voluntarily to some sort of limited liability arrangement. For example, a daredevil who accepts a very dangerous job, such as putting out an oil well fire is probably willing to release his employer from all legal damages in case he gets killed. He has paid more than a normal wage for his services in order to compensate him for the risk. A normally dangerous job, such as uranium mining or handling radioactive substances, may carry with it an economic obligation to release the employer from any responsibility for injury or death. The very existence of the danger keeps other workers from applying thereby lowering the competition and keeping economic wages higher than would have been the case had the job been safe. The laborer is compensated fairly. He gets more money for being willing to bear greater risk. Without the limited liability provision, the employer might not be willing to employ anyone. The Dominion assignment might not be completed in this field until some new technological development reduces risk. Some tasks in life cannot be actually insured at a profit, but this does not mean that they should not be performed by people who are aware of the risks and who agree to self-insure themselves. Other Cases On the other hand, consider the case of citizens who once lived near an atomic bomb test site. They were assured by government officials, who were presumed to be knowledgeable and therefore were legally responsible that there were no excessive risks involved in remaining where they were, when there is evidence that these officials knew or should have known about the risks. The citizens whose sustained long-term radiation-related injuries as a result of the explosion have every reason to sue and collect from the federal government, even if those officials cannot be located today or are dead. It is the policy of deliberate misinformation, disinformation, concerning risks which is the issue. The civil government cannot escape these responsibilities. 
I was just following orders, is no excuse for some bureaucratics deliberately misinforming the civilian victims. There are other cases that are more difficult to assess. A chemical firm buries toxic wastes. It uses means that are at the time of burial believed to be safe by private health experts or government health officials, people whose tasks are part of the quarantine function of the civil government, Leviticus 13, 14. The firm's managers have not deliberately misinformed anyone, neither have public health officials. They acted with good intentions to the best of their ability, according to the best technical knowledge generally available at the time of the decision. They are like a man who ties up a dangerous beast with a rope generally believed to meet standards of strength, but which snaps unexpectedly, allowing the beast to escape and injure or kill someone. Men are limited creatures. They cannot be held to be liable for every unforeseen act. This was also the conclusion of the rabbinical experts of Jewish law. Ransom Insurance The Bible provides only one explicit example of a capital crime that can be punished either by execution or a fine. This one. Murder has to be punished by the death penalty. Numbers 35-31. In this case, the ox is executed, so the general principle of life for life is maintained. Genesis 9-4-6 is not violated by Exodus 21-28-30. The owner, because he is not directly guilty of committing a capital crime, although fully responsible before the law for the actions of his beast, can escape execution. It is not stated that the judges make this decision, death or restitution. The victim's family probably makes this decision. Perhaps both judges and family do. Restitution is owed to the relatives, as heirs of his estate, legally. The payment is made to the dead victim. The economic incentive of the family is clear. Money is more useful than the death of the victim. The restitution payment normally would be high. A man has to pay. There is no escape. If he cannot pay what is demanded, either through liability insurance, personal capital, or selling himself into slavery, then he dies. Restitution is mandatory. The development of personal liability insurance is one way that Western society has dealt with the problem of the catastrophic judgment. The question then arises, should criminal negligence be covered? The civil government must face the questions raised by economic analysis. If the criminal is criminally negligent, yet covered by liability insurance, can the insurance firm be forced by law to pay? even if its contract with the convicted person says that it must. Is a third-party payment to the victim in the name of the criminal an immoral contract and therefore illegal? Does it reduce the economic threat of personal bankruptcy to such an extent that criminal negligence is thereby subsidized? Is criminal negligence a legitimate event to insure against? Should such contracts be made illegal, not just unenforceable in a court of law, but illegal? There is another problem. If the deeper pocket of the insurance company is available for the victim's family to reach into, will they demand all the traffic will bear irrespective of justice? If the owner were not insured, would the victim's family ever demand such a high restitution payment? In the absence of insurance, the victim's heirs would probably have to limit their demands. Question: Should judgments be based on the merits of the case or the depth of the pocket of the insurance company? Limiting the insurer's liability To sell personal liability policies, insurance companies have to limit their liability. 
They do so by placing maximum monetary limits on all payouts. They also limit their liability by insuring people who have reputations for being reliable. High-risk buyers raise the premiums that low-risk buyers are forced to pay. There is an economic incentive for companies to seek out lower-risk buyers for any given type of policy. They can insure a special class of higher-risk people, but only by charging all members high premiums. Eventually, they run out of volume sales when they seek out more and more high-risk buyers. They eventually stop selling policies to the highest-risk people. Personal liability insurance to be profitable must be sold to a particular class of insurable people. The very concept of insurable class refers to a group of people to whom the actuarial laws of probability apply. Groups to which these laws do not apply cannot be safely and profitably insured by private firms selling voluntary policies. Thus, insurance companies attempt to sell to people who are members of a large insurable class. Insurance firms limit their risk by enlarging the numbers of policy buyers within a particular large class. They do not want to be bankrupted by one or two large settlements. To avoid bankruptcy, they must sell large numbers of policies. The larger the number of policyholders, the closer the fit between the actuarial laws, laws of large numbers, and the actual number of cases in which the company must pay victims of negligence. Liability insurance, therefore, will cover occasional cases of criminal negligence, for any given policyholder may occasionally be criminally negligent. For example, personal liability coverage on automobile drivers covers those rare cases in which a driver may be criminally negligent, but the firms will not insure people who have received numerous traffic tickets for speeding and especially for drunk driving. It is true that high-risk drivers can purchase automobile and liability insurance, but only because state governments require the auto insurance industry to set up high-risk pools for otherwise uninsurable drivers, so the companies sell policies to these people. Today's civil governments are requiring private firms to insure people who are more likely to be regarded by the courts as criminally negligent. These laws reduce political pressures from those classified as criminally negligent. They continue to be allowed to drive. The states also avoid having to set up taxpayer-financed insurance programs for the high-risk drivers programs that might bring complaints from low-risk drivers who also vote. The legislators require all drivers to carry personal liability policies, ransoms for lives, but they also require insurance companies to sell high-risk drivers this coverage. If the law did not compel the purchase of auto insurance or strongly encourage it by requiring visible evidence of a driver's ability to self-insure himself, the insurance firms would be trapped. They could not easily pass on to low-risk drivers the added costs of insuring high-risk people. Low-risk drivers are forced by the state to pay higher premiums for their policies than would have been the case had the high-risk drivers been refused coverage and thereby forced off the roads. Thus, the concern about criminals' escaping justice because of private insurance contracts is misplaced. The greater problem is the civil government's demand that people who are more likely to be convicted of criminal negligence be covered by insurance, whether or not they are insurable by private firms on a voluntary basis. It is not that the state allows insurance companies to pay ransoms for the lives of criminally negligent people. It is rather that the state compels private firms to sell such coverage to people or firms that are more likely to be convicted of criminal negligence. The state 
as insurer. The state even enters as the insurer of last resort, when no private firms will insure extremely high-risk people or industries. One example is in the United States, which is common in Western industrial nations, though not in Japan, is the government-guaranteed coverage for accidents connected with the generation of electricity through nuclear power. Power companies are government-licensed public utilities that possess regional monopolies. The Price-Anderson legislation of the 1950s sets relatively low ceilings for financial liability by such firms, $560 million per accident. And then the federal government collects the premium money. By limiting its liability, the federal government forces residents who live near nuclear power sites to co-insure against a disaster, since there is a maximum payout per accident. The larger the local population that could be affected, the more each resident co-insures, for the lower the per capita payments would be. Taxpayers also co-insure in case of an accident. The tiny federal nuclear accident insurance fund cannot pay off more than 2% of a single $560 million damage suit. Money taken from the federal government's general fund would have to make up the difference. Because of this federal legislation, public utilities have been able to expand the use of nuclear power generation. In this sense, today's nuclear power industry has not been the product of a free market economy. It has been the product of special interest legislation in the form of liability maximums and compulsory state insurance coverage. Anti-nuclear power advocates tend to be anti-free market and usually blame the free market for the nuclear power industry. Nuclear power proponents usually are pro-free market, so they seldom talk about the statist nature of the subsidy. But when the chips are down, the pro-nuclear power people accept federal subsidies to their program as being economically and ideologically valid, writes nuclear power advocate Peter Beckman, quote, Yes, the American taxpayer has paid $1 billion to research nuclear safety, and I consider that a good investment, end quote. He also argues that the Price-Anderson Insurance Program makes money for the federal government because power companies pay premiums to Washington, along with money sent to private insurance pools. You call that a subsidy, he asks? Of course it is a subsidy. The premium rates are far below market rates, even assuming private firms would insure against a nuclear power plant disaster, which is doubtful. The maximum liability is fixed by law, far below what would be demanded in a court if some major nuclear accident took place in a populated area. This is why the Price-Anderson legislation was enacted in the first place, to subsidize the power industry by reducing its legal li liability and its insurance rates. Furthermore, taxpayers are co-insuring the fund, which is to cover all power companies nationally, was $8 million as of 1976. The liability was $560 million per accident. Taxpayers would have to make up the difference. I do not want to give the impression that I am against the development of nuclear power. What I support is the development of a free market in power generation. The economic ideal would be a system of power generation that is marked by open entry and price competition. There would be no public utility monopoly over power generation. This may not yet be technically feasible, but it is the ideal against which all proposals should be evaluated. For example, if the technology of solar power generation were sufficiently advanced and marketed, and if battery technology were improved, then the power user could unplug from the local power company. 
He could store the power on sunny days and use it at night or on cloudy days. Another example, space-based solar power generation and microwave transmission back to Earth. With respect to nuclear power, the main economic problem is the disposal of nuclear waste. The problem with today's waste disposal techniques is that radioactive waste material is compacted and stored in large containers. The problem is the concentration of nuclear waste. A much more fruitful approach would be to search for technologies of waste dispersal rather than waste storage. If the radioactive isotopes were attached to tiny granules of matter and then dispersed from the air over wide ranges of the world's oceans, there would be little additional threat to the already radioactive world environment. The political fallout would be far more dangerous than the physical kind. One additional requirement. Power-generating companies should be required to pay all waste disposal costs. The Free Market's Response Liability insurance is another example of a free market, scientific development that protects the victims without bankrupting those who are personally responsible. The victims receive more money than the private, uninsured citizen or firm would otherwise have been able to pay. The lifetime income loss suffered by the family of the victim is compensated by the insurance company. The negligent person still could be executed, should the plaintiffs desire it, but it is far more likely that they would prefer to accept money from the insurance firm. The ransom for a life is higher, thus the guilty person is more likely to survive. This extends the Dominion Covenant. The victim's family carries on, but the guilty man suffers no loss of capital except possibly his ability to buy insurance subsequently. Does the state have a biblically sanctioned right to compel people to buy liability insurance or else proof of sufficient capital to make restitution? In the case of driver's liability insurance, where death and serious injury to innocent parties are common and the drivers are using the state's highway system, the answer is yes. The state can establish rules and regulations for drivers who wish to qualify to use its highways. One of these regulations is liability insurance. Another requirement might be an annual auto safety inspection. The automobile is like a large beast. If it becomes dangerous through neglect by its owner, innocent people can be killed. Insurance companies can be used as screening agents. They may be able to write cheaper policies for those who drive inspected automobiles. Other forms of liability insurance should not be mandatory, unless the situation is comparable to the dangerous beast in a state-owned place analogy. But civil government should recognize the legitimacy of the victim's heirs to call for the execution of the criminally negligent party. This would encourage people to buy sufficiently large personal liability insurance policies so that the victim's heirs would have a strong financial incentive to allow the guilty man to live. Conclusion This law of criminal negligence is much broader than simply oxen and owners. It applies to all cases of death to innocent parties that are the result of negligence on the part of owners of notorious beasts or notorious machinery, capital that is known to be risky to innocent bystanders. Automobiles, trucks, certain kinds of occupations, nuclear power plants, coal mines, and similar examples of dangerous tools are covered by this general principle of personal liability. This law should not be understood as applying to workers who voluntarily work in dangerous callings and who have been warned in advance of the risks by their employers, nor should it be used as justification for the creation of a messianic state that attempts to discover criminal negligence in every case of third-party injury, 
despite the lack of knowledge of risks by the owners or experts in the field. Personal liability insurance is a development of the West that allows criminally negligent people a greater opportunity to escape the death penalty by means of high payments to the heirs of their victims. Purchasing such insurance is not to become mandatory, except in cases related to the use of state-financed capital, for example, highways. Nevertheless, the risk is so high, execution, and the cost of premiums so low in comparison to the risk, that personal liability coverage is available to most people. Only the very poor, who would not normally own oxen, expensive capital equipment, or people convicted repeatedly of criminal negligence or actions that would lead to convictions for criminal negligence, for example, drunk driving, or people who manage or own businesses that create high risks for innocent bystanders, would normally be excluded from the purchase of such insurance coverage. They would have to learn to handle their own oxen with care.